Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the One Broke Actress podcast, an honest account of actor life, plus a few lessons I learned in the process. Today, we have an episode that is coming out a little bit early than our regular Thursday time, and it is because our guest has a really rad Kickstarter going right now. And I wanted you guys to check it out as soon as possible and kind of get on her train before the Kickstarter ends. So today's guest is Melanie Ragone. Melanie is a filmmaker with over a decade working first unit on television production and feature films in crew. Her career in the film industry was shaped in the camera department as a grip, in the electrical department as a grip. And currently in Los Angeles, she's working on producing her own stories. And what she is doing right now is that she wrote a book called Below the Line, a film crew survival guide for women. And I was like, the second this was sent to me by Helena Santos, I was like, I want to support this. And I also want to get her on the podcast because so much of what we do as actors is supported and upheld by crew members. So much of our job could not exist without film crews. They are the literal framework that we rest upon. And I think there's so much about that world we don't know. I also know a lot of you are interested in working in crew and working on sets. And so we really dive deep into the realities of what that looks like in today's podcast. Just to give you a little heads up on things we talk about, we really go into what her day-to-day life looks like, what kind of work she's done, We give a few definitions of things like grip and best boy. Melanie also gives us what she thinks actors should really learn about crew and how they can really show up on a set to best serve themselves and others. In case you're like, man, I wonder what type of projects that Melanie has worked on. Let me just give you a quick little list of a few of the things that are in her arsenal. So Melanie worked on this little show called The Boys, Gaslit, Angeline, Shining Veil, Super Pumped, Doom Patrol, The Hate You Give, Darkest Minds. Maybe you guys saw the movie Den of Thieves or Love, Simon, The Hate You Give, or I don't know, this small little indie film called Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. That's right, you guys, she was the best boy grip. She did the underwater work for that. How insane is that? And if you're like, the fuck is a best boy grip? This episode is for you. You guys are going to really learn a lot in this one. So be ready to take notes and keep an open ear. And I highly recommend you guys click the link in the show notes and check out her Kickstarter campaign. Like I said, it ends on April 8th. So I want to get her as many eyes on this as possible. If you guys have the ability to donate, aka purchase a book through the Kickstarter, I did that too. And I'm so excited to see what happens next, especially for those of you who are interested in working crew, especially for those of you who are women interested in working in this boy's world of crew. This is a must. Melanie is also not going anywhere as she kicks off her production career in this business. So you are going to want to know this woman. Without further ado, please enjoy Melanie Ragone. With the <laughs> living in a man's world <laughs> of this whole business, we do. Yeah, wait, what? <laughs> I just totally forgot. <laughs> Helena is an actress in Canada who found your Kickstarter and she sent it to me and she was like, 
you need to talk to her. And I was like, yes, I do. Absolutely. Because this podcast is mainly targeted to actors, but a lot of actors, one, we work in and around crews all day long on our best days. And two, a lot of the people who listen to this podcast are crew. The idea of female crew being so underserved was really pointed out, I think, in the last couple of years with everything that was going on with IATSE and all of the attention, all the crew stories and stuff we're getting, which we were just talking about. And so what was your decision to put your story out in the world today? Like this needs to be written as a book, as a survival guide. What was that thought process? When I started in the industry, I mean, I pursued a highly male-dominated department, which can be very intimidating. And even for as tough and strong as I seem, I am, but it's like, it's still a very intimidating environment sometimes to like ask questions when you're not sure about something. So some guys like don't want to show you things like they keep everything close to their chest, or they don't want you to take their job. And so I ended up falling in with a mentor who was a long time 479 grip in Georgia. Every time I would like think like, oh, I wish that I knew that when I got started. I was like, oh, that would have been fucking helpful if I had known that. And then I just, I am a writer. I have been for a long time, just not paid. I just thought if I just had like, maybe I'll keep start keeping notes if I was ever going to write a book one day. And it wasn't like, I'm going to write a book. And then, you know, it was just kind of like it would start as a note in my phone or email myself a topic I would want to discuss, or I would hear a story on set and be like, Oh, I don't want to forget that one, you know, like just literally just started as notes and stuff like that in my phone over the past, probably like five years, maybe it's just started to like, it grew into an outline and then the topics kind of spread. And it started really more as a straight practical advice guide I don't know, I wanted to like pass on what I learned because I just I did I have learned so much in this business. And I've learned so much from the people that I worked with too with crew. And that was something I wanted to kind of, you know, pass along. Yeah, we have a lot of similarities, you and me, because I'm very in the same vein of like, I wish someone would have told me. And so I just want to talk about it now. There's so much to what you do that I don't think even actors even understand. Can you go like base level and tell us what a grip is and what you do on a set? Because your your list of credits is so long and I have so many questions. So in a nutshell, a grip is camera support and lighting. Camera support can be anything from doing little camera rigs to massive rigs on a car. It can be anywhere the camera has to get the grips get it and then provide the rigging and the assistance to the camera person who's they're literally like the A and B dolly grips are tethered to that camera for the show. And then the grips, of course, assist with if there's any track lane, if there's any techno cranes on set, if any sort of moving shots for the camera as well. That's that's more dolly grips, but we also assist the, the dolly grips in all of the camera rigging and placement. And then the second part to grips is, I mean, these are the two main things, but it's obviously lighting. Lighting on set, everything from color to the diffusion, to the cut, to overhead rigs, everything that has to do with the look and the feel of the director of photography's vision. You know, he distributes that to the gaffer and the key grip. And then we, as the thirds, execute the director of photography's vision. 
it's a catch-all department too, because construction's obviously not always on location. We work with every single department on set as grips. And it's it's like, I always, I keep saying this, but it's, we are, we're like the MacGyvers on set. Yeah. I know you guys are always out there with all your tools and all your like 17 pieces of pipe. And it's like, like laying and cruising and bruising. And there was like points coming through. <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. <laughs> on your end, how does that process work? I would be super curious for our actors to know too, is how does that process work? We're very aware of how the casting side of things works, like how we get to set and how the story is told and the director and network and producers and all that stuff have final say. How does that go for your guys's jobs? And then how does it go for the execution of a scene to the actual like pipeline of a rig, for example? Usually what happens, and as a best boy, you know, I, I would read scripts even when I wasn't a best boy. But when I became a best boy, you know, the script is obviously the first indicator, you know, I would read the script and be like, okay, you know, like literally just go through and put notes where I know, you know, something's going to have to do with us. And then we get notes from, you know, obviously the DP. And, and when you go on scouts, we get even more information because then, then they start talking about what gear they're going to want on set. And that comes into play, obviously, with the best boy, because I have to make sure every single stick of gear from the pipe to the cranes are ordered and set up for the days that they are needed. Will you explain what a best boy is, just so anybody who's listening who doesn't know? Yeah, sure. The hierarchy on set is DP, and then it's the gaffer and the key grip. And then the key grip and the gaffer have best boys. And best boys are essentially, they hire fire crew. They are responsible for having every stick of gear, like I said, on set for the entire run of the show. It's a lot of dealing with production putting out fires, but it is, it's administrative things too, you know, attending, you know, potentially production meetings and definitely going on scouts, all the logistics. You're like a grip, but you're not on set all the time. That's one of the things I didn't really like about it because I like being on set and the best boy, you know, you're at the truck a lot and you're taking care of every single thing that the key grip has asked is essentially your responsibility for the whole show. Wow. You're almost like a producer at that point, making sure people are there and equipment is there and everything's set. Essentially for our department, yeah, we're, you know, and, and then we also deal obviously with, and we answer to the key grip, we answer to the director of photography, but the key grip is the end all, say all. It's not as if the director comes up and orders us around. Of course, it's like, I'll take it into consideration, you know, in my head, but, you know, I'm not doing anything until my key grip says, yeah, that's a go. This is so interesting because we're not really privy to a lot of these side conversations. When a production begins, do you get initial drafts of the script? Right, yeah, if you're a key okay. or a best boy or the gaffer and his best boy, you know, of course, then yes, if you are a third at least on all the crews I've been on, the thirds are the grips that are on the crew, the general crew. You don't get copies of that as just, you know, the, the regular crew or the general crew. It's funny that before we, you and I were chatting, we were talking about how it's just a boys club and the position's literally called a best boy. <laughs> and I don't really care about that. I always just said, I don't, I don't care what you call me, just pay me. It doesn't bother me that much that it's called a best boy. It doesn't bother me at all that it's called a best boy. I'm more about like the respect thing. If I've worked myself into this position, then, you know, I don't really care how you've done it on another show. I'm of course up for suggestions and whatnot. So, you know, like I had guys that I had worked with and what I came up with and they would, you know, love to come work for me. And then you have some guys, of course, who are always going to question every single thing you do because they've been doing it for 30 years. And, you know, I've been only at the time was only doing it for like five years. And I was like, well, you know, when it says your name and best boy, you can do it any way you want. 
<laughs> so how does one get into this position? How do you work your way up a crew ladder? So I am a first generation filmmaker. You know, here in LA, it is very much, I think more than in Atlanta, it is a generational thing where there is a lot of um, families that are already in, they pull their family members in. And I feel like it's a harder market here to get into. I mean, you definitely have to obviously network and know people. I started as a PA, then I started doing reality television, and then was getting, you know, little like small kind of rigs I was doing and little lighting setups, but nothing that was of the scale that I've done now. I didn't really know what my path was going to be. I was just kind of PAing and then I was doing like second, you know, I thought camera might be, I started doing camera too, but I never joined 600, but I thought that was the direction I was going in. And then somebody one day said, you know, Hey, you should, you know, join the grip department. You're already gripping on these little sets doing these small rigs. And, and so I, I literally was like, what is that? And he's like, well, that's what you're doing right now. He's like, you're just doing it on these little like small sets with lighting. And I was like, oh, all right. So that was kind of like started the process of me like checking out the union. And then of course, like, you know, he got references and all that, but building up that networking, that is so key. That's probably one of the most important things because that's how you build your, I mean, I literally knew one person in the union when I got started. And that's how I work my way is building a network of people where, you know, when you start, yeah, you don't really know who's who or how people work. And there's certain crews that I didn't want to work on because of like, I'm a very organized person. And like, I like things to run safely and smoothly. And it was like, if I would go out and work with crews and they were in constant chaos because they weren't being managed, right? It was just like, oh, you know, like, I don't want to work on, you know, like, and of course, when you're new, you have to take everything. I just worked myself with crews who I knew were going to teach me the skills that I was trying, you know, to learn, and then just literally put my head down and just did the work. I have a lot of friends who are in the crew world, and they more often than not want to be behind the camera. They're a little more shy, or they like their work, or they want to like, like nose to the grindstone, do their stuff. When it comes to networking as someone who might not be the extrovert, like, what do you have to say about that side of the world? Because we all know networking is so important, but sometimes it's easier said than done. No, totally. And I am not an extrovert, believe it or not. I am an introverted extrovert. I can turn it on when I need to. But um, I would say that if you're not good at networking, it's like you're just going to have to learn or maybe you pursue a position on set that you know you're not working on set. Maybe you're working in the production office and a little less chaotic, you know, because set's chaotic. And that environment also isn't always for everyone. I mean, some people go out and they're like, what the fuck? You know, it's just, it's this environment that some people, <laughs> some people thrive in it. I thrive in that chaos. There's some people who don't thrive in that chaos, but the networking thing, like, I don't know, I, I would say attend union meetings or like join groups on Facebook or like network through Instagram. I use that during COVID because I moved to LA and like COVID shut down like six months later. I just think that it's not a skill that you have, like just force yourself to do those things that like make you uncomfortable. You cannot get anywhere in this industry without creating relationships with people and networking. And, you know, it, it isn't as if you need to like network with every single person, you don't have the time, but it's just like that you start to kind of learn like, okay, so those people are going to help me further my career. Those people are not going to help me, you know, like you kind of like learn to decipher which people and I mean, I certainly did that, that I would want to network with and, you know, who I have a good reputation with. And that's so important is like making sure you keep that reputation 
you know, that you're on time, you know, that you have a good attitude. I remember day players would come out thinking they're hot shit and not talking to any of the rest of the crew and just kind of cozying up with the best boy and key. Well, that's all well and good, but like the key is, is not the one that's going to call you. And the best boy might call you sometimes, but like, it's super important to network with the other people on your crew too. So when you say day player as a crew member, does this mean you're just coming in to work that particular day. This like feels very similar. I think sometimes we're so much similar to each other's departments than we even realize. Yes, yes. No, you're totally right on the money. Day playing is when, you know, you could be, I literally day played an entire television show as a day player. I was the everyday day player and literally every single day day player. Because what happens is, is like production says, okay, we'll give you, you know, you've got four thirds and they get four thirds that are called the core crew that are on the show for the entire run. So they're on from day, you know, from the prep to the shoot to the wrap. And then you have day players who could also be on every single day. But, you know, usually when production starts out, they're like, oh, we only need four. And then they realize, oh, we need five or six. Or, you know, you could be day playing three days a week on one show, two days on another one. You could be, you know, it's just kind of depends, but it's not necessarily a bad position to be in either because then you can be like, oh, I don't really want to work five days a week. I just, you know, but if you're on as core crew, then you're on, you know, the whole show. The day playing thing does tend to be a little less predictable, but... I liked it when I was starting out too. And that's another great way to network because if you go and work for one crew and you're with that crew all the time, and then all of a sudden those shows end, you know, or you don't have, you're not working for that key or that best boy anymore, then you kind of like, you have to then start networking with other people to look for work. Kind of, I liked the day playing circuit when I first started because it's a good way to meet people. Oh my God. So listen, we know there's no normal day, but especially as a woman, when there's very few of you in crew, even now, what does a normal day look like for you in terms of being on set? And does it change at all because you are one of the only females like let's call a spade a spade are you gonna get to change your tampon on break like i'm very curious like what happens in this movement man i can't tell you how many times that went down in the woods totally happened you know because there's nothing else that you can do or you're like i can remember having to like go to the bathroom so bad and like the, the honey wagon would be like so far away and i'd be like with one of my grip guys and be like okay keep an eye up there i'm gonna run down this little ravine i'm gonna go like go to the bathroom change my pad and like all out here in the middle of the woods and you know there's just like you have to adapt like i would just make sure that i always had my shit with me but it's not something that i ever used as a you know like oh i can't come in because i have cramps or oh i can't do this because it doesn't really matter because yes as women we still have to deal with all those female issues but it certainly wasn't something i didn't want anyone saying like oh mel's like you know, she's not feeling good. I'm more like stiff upper lip, like I'm quiet when I'm not in a good mood. I didn't want to be like that girl. You know, it wasn't like I was like embarrassed about it or anything, but it was just like, I didn't want to like make it be an issue because unfortunately, if you make that be an issue, then it's an issue for somebody else. So it's just kind of like, suck it up. I mean, like this is, you know, it's like, I kind of like equate it to like women in the military, you know, what do they do? They have to deal with that kind of shit too. And in even worse conditions, sometimes I, I do have a really funny story of a set medic. Usually set medics have pads and tampons. 
And I remember being on a show and I usually almost always have my backpack with me or it's close by. And for some reason it was like at the truck and like they moved the truck. I was just like, oh my God, like I have, I need one. And there's, you know, obviously there's none on set. So I went to the set medic and he didn't have any. And he felt so bad that he didn't have any pads that he sent a teamster to go get them for me up at the Walgreens. He's like, which ones do you want? Send me a picture. And it was just like, it was so comical because like, what a sweetheart that they did that. But it's just like those silly things that we obviously have to deal with. I mean, it's just kind of like, I just have to fit it into the day and, you know, without being graphic, but it's like where I have changed it in out in the wild sometimes, like would be, I would laugh about it when I had to do it like out in the woods. And I'm just like, well, it's actually sometimes better than the four banger at the honey wagon. Like I'd be like, well, at least I'm not like in that funk, you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. Honey wagon isn't great. No, right? Like I was like, <laughs> no. hey, at least I'm out here. And it it's not like, always better. Like, you know, <laughs> shit, quite literally. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, being on set's so glamorous. Oh my God. Right? Well, I think that's interesting too. So, like, are you often one of the first people on set in your work? And how long's a typical day? Yeah, I'll just keep it like general as far as like, even when I'm a third or but when I'm besting, I'm even then in even earlier. But yes, the grip department is usually we usually have pre calls, electric locations and teamsters are like probably in that order where they're like, those are also the other people that are on set. So because you know, rigging electric is almost always the first ones outside of obviously locations they are almost always the first ones that are on set because they have to rig all of the power for set and run all of the cable on a normal like that's like you know at the beginning of the show but at the beginning of each day typically yes our department is almost always there at least a half an hour before call we usually have pre-calls just because of the amount of gear and same thing with the electric department they're also some of the first people on set as crew so you start super early and then what's the flow of like Let's say a standard day, especially if you're not necessarily on like a crazy location or for example, in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, how you were filming underwater. We had, you know, a couple of weeks where we were on a camera test first and our days were a little more lax, not lax, but like the time that we came in, it wasn't as early, you know, instead of being on set at 6am, it would be seven or eight sometimes. But when we started shooting, once again, you know, call times are 6.30, 6, 7, because the water department for something like that, like there's just like a bunch of things that we have to check before anyone else shows up or make sure that like, you know, there's not water in the boats that were on set, that the tank is cleaned out. You know, there's just like, there's stuff that has to be done before the shooting crew, like the rest of the shooting crew even shows up. As far as like, the progression of the day, it, usually on a show that size, it's a lot of kind of like hurry up and wait. Features are definitely a different animal than television. Television is go, 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 go. There is some points where you're sometimes waiting, but on film sets, there's more kind of waiting for things to happen. You might light a set for like three, four hours and then kind of have like this all right, there's like half an hour lull and there's kind of not, you know, and they're like setting things up and other departments are dressing this, you know, what whatever is happening in that chaos. And then it kind of just like will like level out sometimes. And then some days you have where you're like literally like 16 hours go by and you're like, really, were we really working that entire time? You know, like just 
it doesn't even seem possible sometimes. And granted, 16-hour days are not the norm, but they happen. It's definitely something they started kind of crunching down on more where they were like, that's ridiculous. And and it usually, in my experience, happens at, at the end of the show as it starts to like wind down and they're like, oh, we're running out of time, you know, and, and they pile all the, the work on second unit and it's still not getting done. And it, it just kind of starts the fucking train is coming. It's, it just keeps coming and coming and it's just getting louder and louder and faster and faster. And, and that's like the end of the show. And you like, I mean, I would say like you're busy way more than you're not. You do have like those intermittent little lull times sometimes on set. And you wonder like, you're like, what the hell are we doing right now? Like, so everyone's like standing around like, what's what's going on? Like, what is production doing? Like, what, what, what? Oh, they're over on another set, like looking at, and you're like, oh, all right, you know, like, whatever. It's good to know that happens for you guys too. Cause everyone's when I look around and I'm like, what is going on? What? Nothing's happened. <laughs> you know, and I love crew and I'm very respectful of crew and all the departments. And I always have my, my information person. I'll I go up, you know, to my AD friend or whatever. I'll be like, so what the fuck's going on? Like, what are we doing? Like, can, can I expect that we're going to get out of here on time? You know, I mean, like I always have like my little sources. You get a feeler. Yeah. Totally. totally. <laughs> Is there a major difference that you can sense between a union set? and a non-union set. And to be clear for anyone listening, union is IATSE. And if you want to kind of talk about that. The big difference between the non-union and union sets is that on non-union sets, you're not protected. You know, you don't have health insurance, you don't have benefits, your hours, your meal penalties, you know, that you don't have that on non-union sets. I hate to say that non-union sets exploit crew more, and when you don't know when you're new and you're just kind of like, you know, along for the ride when you're, for, when you're green, you don't want to like say no to these opportunities because, you know, it could get you work on another show. You know, obviously with union shows, you're protected because there's a union then you have benefits, you have more legal recourse, they're overlooked by IOTC. And if you have an issue, you have like an emergency hotline, you can call in anonymously. When you're on a non-union set, it's essentially, if it's not something that their insurance doesn't require, then they're not really legally required to provide it. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like, if you are new and you're working on these sets, it's like, be aware if you go out and you work like a, a small set, what if there's no set medic and somebody has an emergency? Like what's, you know what I mean? Like just know, just like I couldn't like stress more enough to like just educate yourself then because if you are going to go out shooting with people and you might even go on location and, and go shooting with people on non-union things because reality television, the world that I started in is very much like that where you're, you move around different locations and it's a very small crew. You're not protected when you're on non-union sets from a lot of things and not saying that nothing bad happens. Obviously they do on union sets, but you don't have a lot of recourse and protection on non-union sets. So it's just kind of like, I'm not saying don't work on because I obviously did, but it's just kind of just educate yourself. Are most film and TV sets that use union actors, for example, so like most of the stuff that's on TV that's scripted, most of features, are most of them using union crew as well? They have to. If they are a union show, California is different than Georgia. Georgia is a right to work state. So technically, you don't have to be a union to work on a union show. But Everyone that works on the union show 
isn't going to hire you if you're not in the union. You know what I mean? Like it's not fair to the other crew to like bring on. I wouldn't hire non-union people when I was a best boy. It's just not happening. It's crazy to me, and I didn't know this either. When I started working on Black Panther, I didn't know that the visual effects people didn't have a union. They used to have a union. It seems crazy to me, and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but that you'd be working on a union set, but there are people who are non-union working on that set. The PAs are not. The visual effects guys are non-union. It's something that is needed because... They're not protected and they get so screwed. And that's the thing that's, and yes, it's going to cost productions more money, but it's like bettering the lives of crew, like who are busting their ass to make the production happen. So it's one of those things where like, why not provide them with a better quality of life, better pay so that, you know, you're not like fucking just running through them like nothing. And, you know, like it's, it's not sustainable as this discussion happens over and over and over again on these film groups that I'm in. It's not sustainable. You're going to burn out. You know, you're going to get injured. You're going to be down. It comes down to money. To me, it feels like this is something that could be better managed and they should be listening to crew more. They should be listening to us more. We are the ones that are doing the work and that can literally tell you where you're dropping the ball. I can tell you where you're dropping the ball. You know, like I've watched it happen over and over again on set where it's just, and it's always, almost always communication. That is the number one thing that breaks down on set. Listen, there are people who are listening to this podcast who have run shows or have been number one on the call sheet, which sets a tone, for example, and things like that. And maybe they don't necessarily get to make all of the actions, but like, what are some things that you, especially because you guys are on your feet 12, 16 hours, right? So you're just like moving, grooving, physical labor. It's so physical. A lot of times as actors, we're doing emotional labor. It's like a mental, it's like hurry up and wait to like an extreme where we'll be sitting for six hours and they're like, okay, great. Go cry about your like dead daughter or something. And it's like, oh, and like, that's a, it's a totally different type of job. So is there anything you wish? Cause you've been around so many actors of so many levels at this point. Is there anything you wish actors knew better about on set? You know, I've worked with all different levels, obviously the ones that are seasoned and most of them know what each department does. And if you are new and green, like I think that's really important as an actor to know what does each department do? What is their function on set? And if you don't know, then just ask that department what they do, you know, ask them to explain it because I think that it makes it like as a whole, if you come to set and you have an understanding of what's happening on set, it gives you more of an appreciation for crew and the work that they're doing. And I know that I would say that probably most actors that I worked with were like this. And I, again, going back to safety, if you're more aware of what's happening and what's going on around you, you know, you, you could cause a problem by being in the way if you're not paying attention. You may have a late call time, but like crew, look at the general crew call. The general crew call is like six, you know, that means that like people have been there since 4 a.m., you know, like show up on time. Being late just is like one of my biggest pet peeves with people. And it's just such a like a disrespect for people's time. But like, 
knowing set and like being on time are two things that are just like across the board, I think for everybody with the being on time thing. Absolutely. And I think too, it's nice because sometimes as actors (laughs) speaking, you know, for a friend, we tend to make ourselves the hero of the story and (laughs) things like being late or like, you know, making it your day or something like that is something because it feels like a lot of the times we fought so hard for this, like one day on set situation, you know, like a hundred auditions and you finally get one, you get to go on set and it feels like you're at Disneyland. And I tell actors, that's great. You're at Disneyland, but everyone else is at work that day. And so you have to show up to work. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good advice because it's so true. And I mean, I understand that process. It's a funny thing. I got cast in a Volvo commercial recently. Yeah, I want to talk about that. <laughs> oh, so I was, it was weird to be on the other side. Like I did really some small theater when I was younger and I was a singer. So it doesn't bother me to be in front of people. I just don't particularly like it, but I can do it. And so I just remember like showing up the second day and I was like 15 minutes early. I'm usually like an hour early when I'm besting because there's just a lot going on. But I showed up like like 15 minutes early and they were like, oh good, I'm glad you're early because they pulled your scene up. And I was like, of course they did. But I was like glad that I was there early. You know, like it was like a surreal experience where I was like, I got to like push the dolly, but I didn't have to lay the track. You know, it was like one of those things where I was like the first time in history of my career that I didn't, you know, not that I was a dolly grip, but I pushed enough to know. So I would know what I was doing if I was thrown in that situation. But that was a surreal experience being in front of the camera. Yeah. Was it weird to be like in hair and makeup and then like in front of everything when you just like wanted to like check the track and stuff? Yeah. Well, it was like, I didn't want to like, cause I mean, I have a signature bun, which is why that is the cover of my book. And it took me a while. I love it. It took, it took me a while to kind of land on what the cover was going to be. And then I was like, I don't really wear a bun that much. And then I like looked at all my Instagram photos and I was like, okay, yeah, I do. I wear a bun a lot. But it was funny when I went into hair and makeup, I was like, I would ne- I don't wear makeup on set, period. I just, I don't like it. I don't want that attention. If ever I came in and my hair was down, it was like people didn't even recognize me. It was, and my hair was much longer than it is now, but it would be comical. It would be like, oh, Mel's hair is down like, oh, your hair is pretty. And I'd be like, oh my God. So I just fucking pull it up in a bun, you know? I was like, I don't... Like, tell me you work with dudes. <laughs> Dude, seriously. Like, and it was comical. You know, it was... It's. I get it. It's It's not that I was like, oh, shut the hell up. But I don't want that attention. I don't... You know what I mean? So, and it would be funny because when I pulled my hair up in a bun, they would be like, oh, like, she means business. She's, she's going to get her hands dirty now, you know? When we went into hair and makeup and then like, I even with like my makeup when I ever wear it is very light. And so they did very light makeup. And then they said like, just wear your hair how you would, you know, I was like, what's the hair note? And they were like, Oh, just they just said just to wear it how you would normally wear it. And I was like, I don't want to really want to wear a bun, you know, and so they did first they did like this little cute braid. And then we just did like a ponytail. And then like the client saw it and they were like, no, we want a bun. And I was like, God damn it. All right, fine. (laughs) You can't avoid it. It was so funny. I was like, I'll just lean into it. It's fine. You know, and the girls that did my hair were awesome. So we had, we had a lot of fun, but yeah, that, that was a lot of fun that shoot. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people listening watched it. It was the one during the Oscars that was just so like gorgeous, like to everyone who's behind the camera. It was beautiful. 
Yeah. And they did a really good job because when they, it was, it was so weird when they were like, I, I heard about it through the guy that I worked for on Black Panther. And then I remember I, I hit up the casting director. She was like, Oh, can you send a self tape? And I was like, literally, I was like, oh, I'm not fucking doing a self tape. I go, that's just like, I'm not that person. Like I, I just, I, I was like, I just listen, I get it. There are a lot. It's yeah, okay. <laughs> I just, I was just, well, because also too, I thought that I told her, because when we talked on the phone, she was like, oh my God, she's like, you had such a, you know, incredible career and all this. And I was like, I really want you to come through, you know, and we, we really hit it off. And she was like, I want this personality to come through. And I said, well, if we do a self tape, it's not going to come through. I was like, what else can we do? And so she's like, well, we can just, why don't I just interview you on a Zoom? And I was like, perfect. I was like, it's like a podcast again, you know, like that I can do. She called me and did a, you know, the Zoom and she asked me like three or four questions. And I swear to God, in true Melanie fashion, I just was like, super like deadpan, dry, like matter of fact. And I was just like, really honestly was thinking they're never going to fucking pick me out of all these people who are submitting. They just, I really didn't think it. And then like, I got hit up and the casting director, she's like, you're in the final five. And I was like, what? I had submitted two. There was two other girls that I worked with. One was a camera assistant and one was in rigging who were also on Black Panther. They both submitted too. I honestly wasn't caring if I got it. I just wanted somebody from that crew to get like some sort of like below the line recognition, you know, and it just worked out that it was me. And I was like, what are you guys, are you sure? Like, <laughs> Little tip, never ask that. Just go with it. We're always like, we're every single one of Dude. us is like, did we trick everyone into being here? That's like the undercurrent. <laughs> right. I know. And then I, it was, it was so funny because like initially it wasn't sad and then it went sad they were trying to cast some stunt coordinators and a, and a stunt performer. And I was, and I told the casting director, I was like, well, you're never going to get those guys unless it's sad because they won't do it. They're contractually locked with them to, you know, only do sad stuff. And so they ended up flipping the commercial to SAG. And so I just was like thinking like, all right, let's, let's do it. Well, it was fun. And it was, you know, the, the crew and the production company was awesome. They're awesome. They're awesome to work for. See, and that's cool too, because you can value the crew in a different way because you really understand their day to day. Set is so different than the world we all live in. You know, it's so different than any other piece of this pie. You guys get to spend so much more time on set than we do. And so for our actors who are considering or work in crew in some capacity, especially our females, do you have any other than your book, which of course I'm telling everyone about right now to jump on your Kickstarter, which is like all in the show notes and everything. I think, do you have any like tangible takeaway tips we can pass on to our potential crew members who are listening? I just like the whole like on time thing is seriously at the top of my list. It starts your entire day just off in a shitty way if you're late, especially when you're in a, a crew environment where not just the whole crew, but your general crew that you immediately work with. So let's say you're going in on a grip crew and you show up late and you're on location. 
And it's like, okay, so we know that trucks have to be unloaded. So what do you think is going to happen to the rest of the crew when you're not there? And it's instead of four guys, it's three guys, you know, like someone else has to pick up your slack. And when it's a physical job such as that, even if it's just a PA position, it's like if you're late, it's like it literally sends kind of this little ripple effect throughout the entire crew. And there's this hilarious argument happening right now on Facebook about this as some kid posted something and and it's like everyone just went to town on him because he was just like, oh, no one's going to make me work before my call time. And that's not what anyone's saying. Of course, you should not be in before your call time, but you should show up on time before your call time. And that's being early because that shows that you respect everybody else's time. You're not just showing up right when you're in and you're putting your shit on. And, um, but it's, the attitude thing too is super important. And I know some people may roll their eyes, but like having a positive attitude. And I'm not saying that I have a good attitude every single day, but if I have a bad one, I usually keep it to myself. I'm in a bad mood. I'm like quiet. You know, I'm not saying I haven't ever, there's some really hilarious stories about me losing my shit a couple of times, you know, but it was after 16 hours working on the walking dead. And I threw a piece of speed rail into the woods, like a javelin, you know, like I was at my breaking point of just, yeah, it's, it's funny <laughs> to hear the story told by somebody else. Of course. I think there's a cha- there's a listed takeaway from the pieces of your book that are on Kickstarter. And one says there will be yelling. And I just think that's so funny. Yes, that there totally will be yelling. And that's probably another good like thing is to just know that it's not personal. You know, it's like, I think even in my books that I say something like, you know, don't yell at your crew. Don't, you know, talk to them this way. It's like, have I ever yelled at my crew? Of course I've yelled at my crew, you know, like, because it's literally like a pressure cooker and it's just like the stress from the hours, the lack of sleep, you know, the physical toll, the mental toll, all that stuff kind of starts to just like boil over when you're been on a show for a long run. And, you know, sometimes you're going to snap. The people who come in who have like the constant bad attitude, it like takes more energy to complain. It's it's not doing anybody any favors. And if you're complaining about it too much, I say this in my book too, is that maybe it's not for you. It is not a business that's for everyone. It really isn't. I cannot stress that enough. It's always a constant hustle. I'm hustling now. It doesn't ever stop. It's certainly an environment where you have to have a certain kind of resolve. Don't give up. But it's certainly not for everyone. It's it's really not. It's just like it, like you said, though, there will be yelling. There's going to be yelling. There's going to be cussing. And sometimes for a really good reason. And then sometimes we're like, we don't even know why this person is like losing their shit. And just it's, it's a crazy, crazy world that we work in on set. It really is. It's comical a lot of times too. Like I see the comedy in it a lot when, when like someone like breaks down and like loses their shit and has a meltdown. And I just, it's not funny but it's just like oh my god like if I don't laugh like I'm gonna cry you know like sometimes it's kind of like that on set or (laughs) oh because at the end of the day too you're like we're filming a tv show or a movie and it's funny what brink it can push people to to make like light fair. And so I think my my next question would be because days are so long so often and especially when you're not a day player when you're contracted to a movie or a TV show and you're shooting for 
three, six, nine weeks, for example, do you take care of yourself? Because this is such a physical job. So I'm a highly athletic. I still stayed at the gym because like, that's kind of like my time where I'm like trying to keep the strength up, you know, strengthening super important for me. But like, I am a, a scuba diver. I'm, I was learning to sail. I'm, I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie. I worked on a show that was, you know, seven months long. It, it, like I said before, like the, as a show gets towards the end, you're, you're working 14 hour days, you're working Friday days. And it's like this just kind of it just this machine that's going, you know, and you, you know, you, you signed on to do the whole show. And, but we would like make sure that we like, I didn't care if we worked a Friday and we wrapped at like 6am the next morning, we would like drive up to this river in North Georgia, it's the Ocoee. And we would go rafting because it was just kind of like production's not going to control my life kind of thing. I just always stay like active, even though I'm doing a highly physical job, I need to still have my fun. You have to like make that time that, you know, as little time as we do have, it's more like the, the quality than the, than the quantity of the time that you have. You have to work to kind of schedule things and it sucks, but that's kind of how it is. Because if you don't, then literally you'll just be like sleeping all day and then you've still got laundry to do. And then you got to be back at set on 6am on Monday. So it's just kind of like this cycle when you're on a long show like that. That's my question too, is like, do you get off, you know, you work 6am to 6pm and and then you go to the gym and then eat some food and then fall asleep and then get up and do the same thing the next day. Do you see family and friends? Like what is the actual specifics of that? Cause that's nine months of that is a lot. That's a lot. I've been single for a while happily. I'm a mom. So I've, I've been a single mom in this pursuit this whole time. Honestly, like that's kind of like one of the things that like I, why I love crew is because a lot of the people that like I work with, like they become the family. You don't really have time to spend. Like I have a sibling, he was in Georgia and the, the family time that you spend is, it's so few and far between when you're on a run that long. For me, I mean, I I'm, I'm, might not be like the best person to ask about like, how do you make your marriage work or whatever in this? Because like, I don't really care about all that. Like I, I my, my focus and goal and like it was, is my career. And like, and I'm super cool with that. But the time with my kids was more like I would, I would take trips, like since I could afford to like, you know, we'd go on a trip somewhere, you know, whether it was even just down to Florida, or like I took my daughter to Costa Rica, like it was just like those little like quality over the, the quantity of it, because you're not going to get a whole bunch of time. It does require to schedule things like for me, it did. And I'm, I'm very organized. So it was just a scheduling of not being like, Oh, we'll do that, you know, whenever, you know, it's like, you can't do that because of the, the production demands on your schedule. And when you're in a position of authority, you're always on call. It doesn't matter whether people shake their head and say, no way. It's like, okay, you know what? I'd rather take a call from the DP on a Saturday and find out Monday morning what he wanted. You know what I mean? Like that's the nature of the beast when you take these positions and, you know, work yourself into positions of authority. That's just the reality of it. That's how I choose to operate. But it, that's kind of for my own sanity, you know, that I, I understand that if I took it, that means that I'm on call at all hours. And that's just the way it is. I mean, you could not do that, but it makes my life harder. Do you feel like you've gotten more strategic with the work you've picked then as you've advanced in your career? 
Yes. I am actually at a limbo point right now because I am chasing the producer director route right now and working on my own things, which is such a hard thing to do when you're in this business. And some people work in the business and they're always going to be on crew. And that's awesome because they do an incredible job. I'm not saying this is all crew, but some crew. And then when you have the other crew that like has projects they want to work on, some of them are writers, some of them are actors, some of them want to produce and direct as well. So when you have that side of it, then now you have to kind of like figure out, okay, how do I make time for my projects or my writing or my scripts or I want to direct and produce and like, how do I make that happen now and then still continue to work? And so I kind of have taken like a step back from it and since have not worked on a show since Black Panther, because I am at the point in my career where I don't want to work on anything else that doesn't have my name attached to it. I have already sacrificed a lot of my time and my health and my, you know, the breaking down of my body. I am not going to work on any projects that I don't feel passionately about or that I am not producing or creating. And that's where I'm kind of at right now. Yeah. I mean, that's the gift of working your ass off in this business is that you can get to the point where you can be really intentional, right? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, it definitely is like a scary seat to be in and it's a lonely seat to be in. My theory is, is that you have to put as much work in as you are putting in on set working for a production. And if you don't put that much time in and that much effort in, then you just kind of spin your wheels because it's scary. Essentially, I have no job right now. Like I, you know, I'm getting opportunities and they're, they're trickling in, but it's, it's a scary position to be in where you're kind of like, all right, so what if this doesn't, but I don't allow myself. I just had a friend telling me like, don't entertain those thoughts. Like this is happening. (laughs) Well, listen, as someone who's mostly not employed as an actor, I understand (laughs) that you want to figure out what the next thing is. And it's scary and it's wild. But it's also nice to know that there's something that ropes us all into this business in some capacity. Like you said, it's either a big time commitment or it's a big energy commitment or it's a big clearing the other energy to get to this specific one type of commitment. So I'd love to kind of wrap us up with what is your love for the business? Like what keeps you coming back after these long days, after throwing a javelin in the woods, <laughs> after being in a in a boy's world of this business, to write your book, to want to get more crew involved, to do your own projects? Like what keeps you going? Crew, crew, crew really keeps me going like that. Because after I got my footing in this business and I realized like what happens on set and then of course working myself into a position of authority, I was just like, God damn, like we worked so fucking hard. And like, I mean, I knew that I always wanted to direct one day and I thought that I probably wanted to produce too, but I just thought that like, and I always say this, that like my takeaways from like with the sets that I've worked on where they've been poorly managed or they've been badly produced, or it's like my takeaways from those are like, okay, like that was a really bad experience. And that's like, that's never happening on my set or a safety issue. That's never happening on my set. Like just kind of things that like, it literally is the crew that I like, I just, I love them. They are such a unique breed of people. Like we're all just a bunch of like kids that don't want to grow up. One of my mottos is 
was that if I'm not having fun, I'm not doing it. And if I'm like having fun on set and it's a safe environment and like, and, and I can now work myself into a position where I am making decisions and crew hiring and like, and I can make it better for crew. That's kind of like what keeps me coming back because I just, I do, I love crew so much, like from, you know, top to bottom of the departments below the line, it's just like, they're such badasses and they have like such like unique talents and are so skilled at what they do and like don't receive enough recognition for what they do and just all of the intricacies that happen on set but that's definitely that's what keeps me kind of like I just love working with those types of people uh I love that I love the reminder of how much bigger this job is than any individual and as the group effort, it's just, it's really, it's beautiful. So obviously everyone's going to be directed to your Kickstarter link, which the Kickstarter ends April 8th. April 8th it ends. Awesome. Melanie, thank you so much for your time. This has been awesome. Yeah, you're welcome. 